It was told very creatively because it's nonlinear, but the story itself to me is a little basic. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Red Pill, Blue Pill, an open discussion podcast about all things film. We're your hosts, Kat and Fred. Welcome back, guys, to RPVP. Today is the first episode of The War Room, which if you guys don't remember from the intro episode, it's where we bring two people that feel very strongly about uh, a work or a movie or something, and then we just kind of have a discussion. But obviously, everything's in good fun uh, for entertainment purposes. So um, today we're going to talk about something very controversial slash well-known, and that's the movie Citizen Kane. So Kat, do you want to get us started? Because I know... Yeah, I actually love Citizen Kane. I know people make fun of like film students for like, oh, Citizen Kane is the best movie ever. <laughs> but honestly, I truly enjoy it. And I really do think it, it has to be one of the best American films ever made. You know, Orison Welles, he's just a beast when it comes to filmmaking. So I'm on the side that, yes, Citizen Kane is one of the best films ever made. <laughs> Would you say it's like the best film of all time? I think it depends on what category you're talking about, but it, it's definitely in that always going to be in that one, top 100 list like, internationally. I think. Oh, for sure, top 100. Yeah, I would agree. Top like for me personally though, like um, I mean, since this is war room, people will already assume like you're on on the pro side. I'm on the con side. I don't uh, dislike Citizen Kane. I really understand it as a as a masterpiece, like what it is and what it meant for its time and what it meant for cinema as a whole. But personally, it's not one of those movies that I would necessarily put on my top 10 list. Okay. Okay. That's fair. I think that's fair. <laughs> um, I mean, because like, think about it. We can talk about the movie. We can talk about Orson Welles as a filmmaker, right? Because if we talk about Welles on, on his own, to me, he's one of like the most badass people in the industry ever. For sure. Right? He made this movie when he was like, what, 20, 24, 25? Yeah. Around there. So to think, I mean, I'm 23. So to think that he had a mastery of the craft and an ability to tell a story the way that he did at 25. And also the fact that Hollywood had such trust in him to kind of give him full, complete creative control. That doesn't happen today, right? So if they were willing to do that, then clearly Orson Welles is a brilliant man, you know? Yep. And, but the movie itself, I mean... Let's start with the pros. Let's start. What, what do you like about it? Because I don't want to. <laughs> well, I guess let's talk about like the most basic, you know, the actual story of Citizen Kane. For me, I truly enjoy it. I never got over my teenage angst. I don't know about you, but it's it's that <laughs> I love the fact that it's this man that he had this idealistic view of the world and he wanted to help people. And at the end, he becomes what he hated, you know? And yes. I, I love to see that sort of character development. It, you know, it's sad, it's moving. And, and it makes you think, um, you know, about different people. Like, he may be a rich person, but that could be anybody else in the world, you know? Right. And I feel that. And I feel like, I mean, going off of what you just said, his character as a whole can really resonate with with a lot of, um, you know, modern day people or like modern day stories. You know, that whole idea about not really having full control of your fate and then realizing that you you can do something and then it kind of takes over you instead of you taking over it and then it just kind of it leads to your own downfall i really i I understand that as a from a theoretical standpoint 
The thing is, do you relate to Orson Welles? I see him in a lot of older people that I know. And, you know, okay. and he's the person I do not want to be when I grow older, you know? I feel, I guess, becoming more philosophical, a lot of older people become disenchanted once you enter the workforce, you start dealing you know, with larger issues in life that aren't just like, oh, I need to go to school. I want to talk to my best friend. You know, it's I have to pay for a house. I have kids. I have, you know, a spouse. I, I need to, you know, try to make this relationship work with. And so I see someone that I don't want to become or, or to lose my own morals that I believe in. I feel like a lot of people, you know, life just punches them down and they lose that that spark they had when they were young, you know? Yeah, like they're idealistic at the beginning and then in the end it's kind of like taken out of them yeah. almost. I mean, I get that. But the thing is like, to me, Charles Foster came. And when I meant like, do you relate to Citizen Well? I mean, Citizen Wells. Do you, mean, do you relate to um, Orson Welles? I meant Charles. Yeah. Um, so to me, here's the thing. Like, okay, I watched the movie two years into film school. Like I was a senior. I was aware of the cinematic impact that the movie had, right? Yeah. And when I watched it, I felt like it was not not necessarily the best movie ever, but the best movie to teach movies with. Okay, I see where you're coming from. A lot of the love and a lot of the, you know, hype that comes from Citizen Kane coming from film buffs like us, right, is usually because it was one of the most innovative in terms of like, you know, cinematography, the whole idea about deep focus, right? You can see it in even the episode that we talk about Parasite. There's a couple of things that I related to Citizen Kane. And you can see like how important it was. But to me as a story, like as a plain movie, like forget everything around it. If you just gave me the movie and told me nothing, like it wasn't made by Orson Welles. It wasn't one of the most influential American movies. I wouldn't mind not finishing it. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To me, it was never like Charles Foster Kane was someone that I could understand and I could see, in, like you said, in other people, but it wasn't someone that I could emotionally feel for. Okay. To me, it was always separated, which I think kind of helped the story. It was meant to be like that, right? He's meant to be distant from everybody. He's never meant to create any sort of connection, right? He always had walls up as a character and that makes him who he is. But at the same time, I feel like it went a little too far in the sense that the audience doesn't necessarily relate to him on a personal level or in an emotional level. Whereas people like, for example, later on in the 60s, like Tarkovsky and um, Urosawa, all of their characters were similar, but at the same time, I was always drawn to them and I always rooted for all of them, you know? Whereas I never rooted for for Charles Foster Kane. I was like, okay, yeah, dude, I understand how this all kind of screwed your life up and how you ended up alone, uh, which we're gonna talk about, by the way, that's a plot hole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, to me, that disconnect really hurts the movie, which is why I wouldn't necessarily pick it up again. Now I see where you're coming from. I, I think that it definitely has to go with like the style of the time. I think of like other films, like Third Man, mm -hmm. you know, the same actors in that film. And I didn't care at all for it. And everybody was hyping it up. But I see where you're coming. I think it has to do with that time in filmmaking and story. And, and especially with like American films at that time. Yeah, no, for sure. And I was trying to come up with actually different, um, preparing for this, <laughs> the podcast for today. I was looking at like movies that were contemporaries of, of, um, of Citizen Kane, right? And every single thing that I thought of that I, I assumed was around the same time were actually made in the 60s and 70s. So I was like, okay, um, I'm comparing a 1940s movie to the 70s and to the 60s. 
which clearly shows that it was like, you know, monumental, right? Because if I can understand the level and the expertise that he had back in the 40s with something that was made 20, 25 years later, then it does show, you know, it, it's clearly a masterpiece for its time. Um, so in terms of like where it's placed in time, I understand why people kind of love it. Yeah. What, okay. Do you want to talk about the cinematography a little bit? I do. I, I, I rewatched it recently, actually. And this time I really noticed, I think one of the reasons why people love it, you know, not just for teaching, but for recreational view is the fact that it takes pieces from like the best of everything. Like it takes the best of like the surrealism from the Italians and the expressionalism from the Germans. And he uses it, you know, use it so seamlessly that it definitely elevates it from, you know, if it was just this basic story of this rich man falling from grace you know <laughs> falling from grace i mean uh, okay talking about german expressionists here's the here's a comparison this is kind of uh kind of con- not controversial but this is my argument so a lot of people say yeah citizen kane was great because not only was it good it was good for like what like i said for its time for the 1940s nobody thought of doing like the cinematography in terms of deep focus or the way that he does kind of the whole floating camera thing that you see people like fincher and all these people doing nowadays yeah. and no one thought about it at the time but like for example if i'm thinking about a movie that i watched that was made way before um for this metropolis like when yeah. i was watching metropolis i literally didn't want to look away like that was fully engaging and it was one of the, it's it's what 1920 something super around old, there yeah so before sound super old and to me it was more engaging in a lot of ways i think it's fair to say yeah technically i think when we talk about citizen kane you know, in academic spaces or with friends, we're not talking about the story that much, but we are talking about like the techniques, like, we, like we've been talking about the deep focus, the, you know, the, you know, the, like the bird, the editing, all that kinds of things. Okay. The editing. Listen, <laughs> I love the opening sequence. I'll give you that. But after like the 20th cross dissolve and the overlay, <laughs> I was done. I personally don't like overlaying things that much. Because it feels, I don't know, it feels kind of fake sometimes. Like, you can tell that it's a, being edited as that. So, it, for me, yeah. it takes me out sometimes. But I think it helps it because it, it, most of the stories told you, like, dreams and memories anyway, you know? So, I think that's the main purpose for it. Okay. That's true. Well, I can make the argument in terms of, like, dreams. Um, like, Ivan's childhood is full of dream sequences, right? I'm, I'm always going to, you know, vouch for Tarkovsky over anyone else. You know that. But but to me, like those were way more impactful dream sequences and transitions like in Ivan's childhood when he's sleeping in the in like the soldier's den or whatever. And then it transitions from like the hand dripping into like he was panning up to the ceiling and it turned into a well like that yeah. blew my mind. It was insane. And he repeats that throughout the entire movie. So those images to me stuck in my head and I feel like severely influenced the way that I think about making movies later on like he's someone that I always kind of draw inspiration from whereas if you ask me to remember shots from Citizen Kane the only one I remember is the one where they're talking about uh the kids future in the dinner sequence that they start at the window where he's playing in the snow and then they kind of like track back into where they're like kind of signing the papers and the kid is like completely clueless of what's going on that they are basically deciding his entire fate but other than that, that one and the and the little globe falling. That's the only thing that I remember. You know, the whole rosebud close up. That's fair to say. I see where you're coming from. Uh, but I guess looking back at 
things like third man i don't think he directed third man but like showing up in third man and, and things like that i think that's just the way orison well thought and his style of director i think it's like you said it depends on whether you like that directing style or not that's true and also, like, the way that he had such vision, not only because, like, he's a renaissance man. He yeah, not sure. only helped produce it and direct it and, <laughs> and act in it. Um, he was excellent at all of those things. And that rarely happens. Like, to have somebody with a level of dominion over certain crafts to that extent with so many and have, like, the ability to channel all of those into one creative work. Oh, yeah. In that sense, yeah, Orson Welles is someone that historically is going to be like regarded right. as one of the greatest filmmakers simply because he had vision more than I think a lot of people, especially nowadays with directors nowadays. Directors nowadays don't have vision. Oh, yeah, for sure. They're just beat. They're just filling a contract. Exactly. You can tell, you can feel in Citizen Kane that it was very close to his heart. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm ranting here. <laughs> hey, go ahead, rant. So, yeah, in terms of, like, editing and everything, you could definitely tell that he understood what was going to be on screen. You know, everything from the composition to the acting to everything. But to me, Citizen King kind of fell through in a lot of ways, especially because he is so meticulous in everything, right? He He's known to be neurotic about his films and a perfectionist, and I feel like that's kind of a trait that you see in a lot of directors. Um, but... Then you have the whole thing about the audience knowing about Rosebud, right? Which is kind of like the whole omnipresent camera thing. But to me, that was always an issue. The first scene doesn't make sense. In what way? You know, because like, because I mean, I get it that we know as an audience, right? Because you can tell the audience things, you can't tell the characters. But yeah. how does the, the reporter know that he said Rosebud? You know? The nurse. The nurse comes in. Okay, but she comes in after the snow globe breaks, which means she didn't hear Rosebud. But if she did hear Rosebud, then he didn't die alone. You know, it doesn't make it that intense. There was someone there with him when he died. So he doesn't really hit rock bottom. I know, but he paid for her to be there. You know, it wasn't like a genuine, I'm surrounded by family and friends. This is my hired help. No, I know. I think it's different. I don't know. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I mean, like having physical, like a physical presence, like a human being next to you has to make death less dreading, right? Which, okay. whereas as, as if he had actually died alone, right? That would have completed the story for me. That's like, you know, you're talking about like life's a circle. Remember those episodes? <laughs> like it, it came like 99.9% full circle for me. Okay. I'm not saying I could. I'm not offering any suggestions, okay? Like, <laughs> I understand. I couldn't have ever done a movie like he did at 25. But to me, that's, I don't know. I, I'm still kind of holding on to that. I see where you're coming from. But like I said, like I was talking a little bit, I feel like it's supposed to be very surrealist, you know, because you have the globe, you have like this super fish eye in, in the broken glass. So I think it's like that. I'm going to defend Orson Welles and say he was like, it's super surrealist. It's not supposed to make 100% sense. Like he's in his dying moments, you know? No, I get that. Okay, but if you make that argument, he doesn't go full German. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's somewhere in the middle. Like, because, okay, dream sequence is not necessarily surreal. Okay. In my opinion, I would make the argument that a dream sequence can make logical sense in the, the realistic realm of filmmaking. Um. Which still puts him as a realist, you know? <laughs> Even though, yeah, you, you do use flashbacks and stuff like that. So I was just like, it still falls under kind of like the logical path of, you know, following a non-chronological story. It's not like I'm watching um, Lynch, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, thinking about it from like your way, I think you could make the argument like there's a disconnect between story and creative technique. Yes. When it comes to Citizen Kane. So I think that's where you're coming from. And I can see what you mean by that for sure. And you think that the, the story is up to par with the creative technique? I think he made smart choices again in that very American way. And in, in that I'm just going to steal little pieces from, you know, the fair, my favorite international filmmakers, you know, that, that American directors tend to do and incorporate it and make it look like it's my own. But it's still, it's that very fast American direct, no BS sort of storytelling sort of way. I mean, do you think there's like comparable works in, I'm not saying international cinema, I can, I can say a bunch, but in American cinema? For some reason, like Inception comes to mind when like he has like that little top, it's like that connection and that, uh, you know, connection between reality and the dream state. For some reason, Inception comes to mind and for some reason, Arrival. <laughs> Arrival! <laughs> I, yeah, like just these random movies. I, cause I feel like they take the essence of what Citizen Kane was trying to do and made it better. It was, okay, how does... Uh, explain to me wait, I, i'm actually interested what parts of arrival do you think are directly linked to citizen kane i'm gonna use this for like the front of this episode like the first 10 seconds yeah i guess because like in arrival she she's stuck between like making that decision okay do i have this child who's gonna have this deadly disease or do i not and citizen kane kind of has that in Obviously not in that very like non-linear way, in a linear way in that we see his future. Like we know what his past was. We see we see his future. We see what he's gone through. Like there's nothing to stop it. Like there's, you can't stop it. You know, he's going to be given to the bank. Um, You know, he's going to go start the newspaper, fall in love, cheat, this, that, and the other. And, and you know, there's no way to stop that. Mm-hmm. That kind of like inevitable demise kind of thing. And I guess like in Arrival, they take that and, and take it a step further. I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> it makes But it's a very strange connection. I know, I get it. No, but the, it, listen, you can make connections with pretty much anything, but that one actually like, it, I understand. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so actually like Veredict, it, do you recommend? Do you not recommend? Do you think it's worth the hype? Oh, I will always recommend. I've seen it, you know, a handful of times and every time I enjoy it. You don't get bored? Mm-mm. I love it. They lose me sometimes. And even that, like, I love slow movies. Like, I'm telling you, like, you give me anything that's, like, slightly European from, like, the 50s, <laughs> I will watch it and I will be thoroughly engaged. You know, I'm not, like, I'm not saying I'm uh, all I watch are the Avengers movies, you know? Um, but <laughs> that's another episode. Um, but to me, Arson Wells, I will recommend, yes, for a filmmaker that wants to understand uh, how to make movies and all the things necessary to make something great, not only from a, from a filmmaking standpoint, but from acting and from writing, it, I would fully recommend. Now, I personally wouldn't pick Citizen Kane out of a handful if I found it on Netflix. <laughs> all right, all right. But, you know, it is what it is. 
It went, it went, I think, nicer than I, I thought I was going to go. I don't know why I had this idea of like, oh, I'm going to hate on Citizen Kane. Rip into it. <laughs> no, but. No, yeah. You said you didn't remember any other frame from the movie other than the dinner table. Do you remember that mirror shot? Or like you see like the endless hymn of mirrors going down after the breakdown. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now that you mentioned it. <laughs> okay. But you had to prompt me is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, yeah, anyways watch it learn something thank you again for joining us on this episode you can find us at rpbp podcast on instagram listen to us on anchor google spotify apple everywhere and we hope to catch you on the next episode this podcast is brought to you by no one your chipotle please sponsor us before someone else does Voiced by your hosts, Catherine Mairena and Fernanda Lamuño. Original music by Alec Drieth and Sadine Dasun. Graphic design by Natalie Mairena. Copyright 2020, RPVP Podcast. <laughs>